You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's right, that's breads and spreads by Fred. Uh, At the time of this recording... Fred is actually not taking orders as he is traveling for the holidays. However, that doesn't mean you can't ring in the new year with a fresh batch of cookies. I highly recommend going to Fred's website and checking out what he has available for the new year. And guys, if you happen to go to that website, once again, that's fredsbs.com, and use the offer code NOLOVELOST, uh, you can get 20% off of your order. So guys... Go do that, ring in the new year with some holiday treats. If I may make a suggestion, I highly recommend the Brown Sugar Buddies, which go great with coffee and seasonal tea. And also, not just the brownies, but the blondies. Those are fantastic. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10, would eat again. And guys, uh, at the time of this recording, this recording should be going up on Christmas Eve. So I just want to say, even though Lost never had its own sort of holiday special, from the bottom of our heart, we want to wish you all Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a very Happy New Year. You know, uh, take some time this year to do some good and uh, to spread a little joy to the people around you. 2018 was a really hard year for a lot of people, so let's make 2019 something special. <laughs> that's uh, that's me on my soapbox. Happy holidays and enjoy the show. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly. But even though there are times we To go back. Did we, though? Did we? I mean, you did sign up for this podcast. Damn it. Damn you, past Megan. Uh, Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we break down episode by episode the hit ABC series Lost. Or just break down in my case. Uh, I am Will Lincoln with me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, guys. Uh, and today we're going to be breaking down season one, <laughs> episode 18, Numbers. I gotta be honest, out of the entire first season, I think it's entirely possible that I missed this episode upon the initial run of season one. I It's a pretty pivotal episode. I rem- Here's the weird thing. I remember parts of it. But like I'm wondering if I if I was only able to catch like half of it on TV when it initially ran because I had very little memories of this episode. I think probably like I was I I like had practice or something um, or I was coming back from like a cross country meet and like I only saw half the episode cuz I I, re- I remember certain parts but I don't remember them very well. I um I'd been looking forward to rewatching this one because I remember Hurley episodes being kind of fun and this it, this was fun maybe not as fun as it was in my head but it was fun um the episode of course it's uh well first of all I'll say it is written by David Fury and Brent Fletcher and it was directed by Daniel 
at Adias, A T T I A S. Is that Adias or Addis? Uh, my guess would be Addis, but I'm not sure. Attias. It could be. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm uh, so bad at pronouncing names. The title refers to, of course, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, which are Hurley's winning lottery numbers. Now, by time this episode comes, <laughs> we record these months ahead of time. Oh, we, we absolutely do. <laughs> but it just so happens to be we are recording on a big lotto night. Uh, oh, we're are recording. We? Uh, it's, have you ever? I have to ask. Have you ever used these numbers to I play the never, lottery? <laughs> I have never used these numbers, but I've heard that a lot of people have. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure they're for a while they were go-to lotto numbers. Oh yeah. Which I don't know about you, Will, but like that to me seems like invite openly inviting trouble. Inviting a curse. Who, who does that? Well, you know what's <laughs> funny with this lot because the lotto tonight. Is one point six billion dollars? Dang, that's a lot of cash. And if you take the lump sum, I think you get like nine hundred and thirty-four million dollars. That's so much money. I would never need anything ever again with <laughs> right? that much money. So I have this question for you, Megan, that I wanted to ask before we delve into the episode. Do you play the lotto? Have you ever played the lotto? I have played the lotto in the past, and. Uh, a couple of years ago at work, there was a pool going when it was a very similar high number. However, um, it's not something I regularly play. My, Same. My roommate definitely likes to play a lot, but I'm like, hey, if I've got like $3, I would rather spend that on a taco or, you know, a burrito. Maybe even lunch. three tacos. <laughs> yeah. You order off that 99 cent. Uh... Exactly. Like, I would rather use that to buy, you know, go to my coffee fund. Than, I, uh, than I anything else. I agree with you 100%. I never play the lotto. However, I, I'm going to, a little outside of this episode, since it's so on point. So, my job. Mm-hmm. There was a couple years ago, they were like, oh, the jackpot's big. We got to all throw in money. And the guy said, I want $10 from everyone. I said, $10 seems like a lot. <laughs> but, okay. And then we lost. And the whole country lost. So then it was the next week. because we need 10 more dollars. And that was a week after that. And then we went up to like 40 bucks in on this lotto. And of course and we didn't And you're like, win. sunk cost fallacy, guys. We got to stop. We work in insurance. We should know this. So this was, this was bothering me. But then somebody was like, this is ridiculous. Here's what we're going to do. $8 a month lotto. And we get the numbers for the entire month ahead of time. She's like, I'm going to run it. And I don't want to play Lotto. I think it is a sucker's game. I don't care for it. However, $8 a month is worth it just in case everyone in my office wins. I don't want to be the only one left. <laughs> Could you imagine if everyone won except for you? So I'm in this $8 <laughs> pool thing. However, because of peer pressure. <laughs> yes. However... Because this got so big, all of a sudden someone was like, the same person actually said <laughs> we need to keep it at eight dollars. She's like, okay, we gotta we gotta really <laughs> throw more money into this one. Twenty dollar buy-in. What? This is the person who was like, this is getting out of control. Yes. Oh my god. Twenty dollar buy-in, and I said, no, we're all gonna lose twenty dollars. <laughs> and people threw in, and guess what? Lost. But now tonight, for all I know, as we're recording this. <laughs> 
my coworkers who threw in 20 because they did it again. And I refused. I refused. I said, this is crazy because then what? We're going to be 60, 80, $100. I said, it's not. It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. And I don't care for the way this is going down. And again, so, sunk cost fallacy. So on principle, I said, I am not getting involved in this. I think I'm the only one in my department who didn't throw in $20. Damn, dude. So there's a chance that tomorrow I might be running my entire <laughs> department. But there's also a chance that one of the $8 lottery tickets won. Also, I never buy lottery tickets, but I did get gas today, and I bought a lottery ticket on my own. And I did it <laughs> out of spite because I hope I win and all of them lose. That would be freaking hysterical. Uh, um, my, but okay. but have no fear. If I do win a billion dollars, we will still be doing this podcast. Yeah. Probably I, from my kitchen table the, still. The odds of actually winning are so astronomical that I'm like, what's the point? Uh, but then you always get those stories of like, you know, um, what was that movie that Nicolas Cage was in where he split? It uh, could happen it to could you, happen to you. Which was originally called Cop Gives Waitress Two Million Dollar Tip. <laughs> That's a stupid name for a movie. Uh, it's better than it could happen to you. No way! It could happen to you. Is way catchier. It's generic. You don't forget the <laughs> cop. Cop, gig. cop gives waitress two million dollars is a headline. <laughs> Not a movie title. It's a bad headline. <laughs> An accurate headline. See, that that's what you see in the newspaper clipping in another movie. <laughs> I think that's what you see in the newspaper clipping in that movie. <laughs> um, a, um, for, for me, my roommate plays the, the lotto all the time, and she's like, I know it's the idiot tax, quote unquote. No offense to anybody who does play the lottery. But she's like, there's also a joke. Um, you know, this one guy sits down and he prays every day lord please let me win the lottery let me win the lottery and it keeps not happening and so finally he's like god you know please i've done everything you've ever asked of me i've done this I've, i'm a good christian person um you know but i still haven't won the lottery please send me a sign and the clouds part and from the heavens you hear buy a ticket ah because you can't win if you don't buy a ticket. Exactly. Um. Anyway, I'm a little annoyed about this whole twenty dollar lottery thing. I think I think <laughs> I think on principle I've done the right thing. You wouldn't have thrown twenty dollars in. No. <laughs> so there you go. I, like I said, I have gone in on pools before, but like I just. It's not for me if I'm if I'm gonna spend the the little money that I have. It's going to be on things that make me happy. That's right. I I give the eight dollars a month as an insurance policy against (laughs) like being there alone. But in the past, whenever back at uh, our old place of employment, if the people in my little uh, uh, group wanted to do lottery, I never had to throw in more than two bucks. Yeah, it was only a handful of stuff. Twenty dollars. Like, These people are out of their fucking minds. <laughs> Speaking of the, people, the the only the only thing I want to say is that for for me, I just generally speaking don't like gambling like at vegas i put down twenty dollars and once that's gone i'm like well that's all the money i have uh in my gambling fund so good day to you i shall go see phantom of the opera now the only thing i've ever kind of enjoyed gambling on a little bit is like sports stuff because then there's like all a watching thing you get excited there's like a bigger thing to it it's not like yeah i just put i just put this money down on a roulette wheel and then it's gone but we should probably get into <laughs> yeah. a man who was willing to spend money on a lottery tick. 
ticket. Yeah. Yeah, he was. So, let's start with the flashback. Okay. Her... I have a lot of questions, Hugo. I have so many questions. Hurley is watching TV. His mom's giving him a hard time, but you gotta go out. Yay. You shouldn't be alone. Oh, gosh. This is, like, such the stereotypical, you know, man who lives at home with his mother sort of dynamic. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you can definitely tell this came out before the recession, before a lot of people were forced to move back home. And it's also that typical mom thing of where they feel like, well, I love my son, everyone. It's as simple as you just, if you just leave the apartment, you'll meet somebody. You'll do as if go outside and get me grandchildren, even though that's not her accent. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that kind of a thing. Yeah, Mijito, go outside and get me grandchildren. Uh, that's see, more. Of there you is. go. That's that's Hugo's mom. <laughs> um, so he's there, and then he's watching. He's watching the lotto. He's got his ticket. And the numbers that come up are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. And he promptly faints. <laughs> because he just won. He just won the lottery. A record jackpot. Record. How much was it? Oh, I didn't write that down. <laughs> well, he says later that he, like, after his fortune grows exponentially, that he's worth, like, over $160 yeah, million. Yeah, he says dollars. he's worth $156 million yeah. later. But I imagine that he... Uh, that, that was that's... after his fortune grew exponentially, and we'll talk about those things. Yes. So, uh, you know, there's the press conference, which, by the way, if I won a billion dollars, I'd be a maniac at that press conference. <laughs> I would be a rambling lunatic, because I think at that point my brain will have broken, <laughs> and I would just be on there, like, rambling away about all the nothing I'm going to do with that money. Because let's face it, that's what I'm going to do. You would buy – I let me guess what you would do. Would you buy your own movie theater? I would – that would be a strong possibility. I would certainly have a wonderful home theater. <laughs> Um, but I would consider buying a movie theater. Like, I think that if I was stupid rich, I think a movie theater or, or like, a, a play theater would be a lot of fun. Maybe the property taxes would be too much for me to actually run. But I think, like, if I was an eccentric rich person, like, I would love to just own a theater and be like, theater troupe, go and put on performances. I don't care what. Or, or you do care, like, I'm in the mood to see Hamlet, but we've been rehearsing Macbeth for months. I'm in the mood for Hamlet. And I am also in the mood to be Hamlet. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> this eccentric old lady. So I like how also you you win it at your age now, but you immediately start acting like like because like, I think that's like what I would old, do. Like a uh, silver scream, uh, silver screen movie actress. Like <laughs> I'm ready for my close up, Mr. Demille. Like that demented sort would, of stereotype. I would immediately become like Charles Foster Kane. Yeah. I would immediately be like, I'm buying newspapers and like I'm moving into Xanadu, my mansion. Yeah, I'm gonna build a I'm gonna build my a mansion. Gothic There'll be a mansion zoo. atop the hill. I'll meet some terrible <laughs> singer and build her an opera house, even if she doesn't want to sing opera. I'm like, you'll sing opera and you'll like it. They'll they'll 
they'll believe what I tell them to believe. Yeah, that's gonna that would be I would totally and I have and I'd have people over for these parties, but I'd be a recluse the whole time. I'd be like up in the window watching as everyone's out in the party. Oh. Like a, <laughs> I would definitely get like a mansion where I would just be sitting and waiting for a murder mystery to happen. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> see now we're getting into too many flights. So of fancy. it's a good thing that neither of us are rich, because we'd immediately go insane. Hey, Megan, <laughs> we're 13 minutes into this podcast, and 10 minutes ago, they uh, they announced <laughs> the numbers. For all I know, I'm a billionaire right now. But <laughs> but we're gonna press forward with this episode. Okay. <laughs> um, and tune in next week to find out if I am a billionaire. <laughs> Um, so he has a press conference, and they're they're asking him how he came up with the numbers, and he's being kind of coy about how he came up oh, with the numbers. Oh, they just came to me. Yeah. Uh, and he's talking about he's got his, his whole family there. He's got his brother. I'd forgotten he had a brother. He's got his mother there. And, of course, he's got Grandpa Tito. Oh, Grandpa Tito, he's worked, he's worked harder than anyone Hugo knows, no. and he's finally going to get a vacation. So naturally, he immediately drops dead. This was so sad to me. Like, I, I know that a lot of this episode gets played for laughs, and I I know that, like, later on we'll, we'll get to definitely, I think, an inappropriate moment that's played for laughs. Um, but this moment was so sad to me. Like, I actually had to pause and, like, walk away for a minute because I was like, I'm just, I'm going to step away because I see a lot of, like, my dad and my grandpa in, in like this moment of like somebody who works hard their whole life to provide for their family and then like when they finally get a chance to retire that's like when the whole like the curse comes for them and yeah. i was just like no that's so terrible they work so hard so uh, you know press conference doesn't go great tito's dead oh Again, it's so sad. But he's driving around. Abuelo, no. He, and we kind of get a little bit of like his mom. It's been a tough time for his mom. Why? Well, a couple of crazy things have been happening. At the funeral, the priest got hit by lightning. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, his brother's wife left him. Just bad luck has been happening. But. He's bought his mom this house. He's excited. Show dude's so excited that he blindfolds her. Well, I, I do want to point out that before this moment, um, he points out that like, hey, mom, do you ever think that like the the, the money, money's cursed? The money's cursed, and she slaps him and goes, "You know we're Catholic. We don't believe in curses." And I just wanted to bring this both both uh, up because you and I were both raised Catholic. Yes. Uh, and even though I I tend to be pretty agnostic these days and and everything like that. How does being Catholic preclude you from also not believing in curses? Because I feel like those two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm. I feel like people can believe in lots of things. And I, I love, but like, I'm like, one of the most superstitious people I know is my very Catholic grandma. So I'm like, what are you talking about, show? You're silly. I feel like anyone who praise regularly should also because you're believing that there's a power controlling things so why isn't it also controlling the curses yeah i i feel like if you you believe in the higher power that is god a lot of times that means you also believe in the devil 
And, like, I feel like curses are, like, an extension of the devil or at least some sort of embodiment of evil in some way. It's bad juju. Um, evil magic or, yeah, evil spirits, whatever you want to quantify it as. I'm like, being Catholic doesn't mean you can't also believe in curses. But, like, also, what do I know? I don't go to <laughs> church anymore. Look, we got to ask Pope Francis about curses. What are you... <laughs> Uh, your holiness what is your stance on curses <laughs> um so they pull up to the house mother's blindfolded but what's happening house is on fire naturally and oh, the mother so gets out of the car can't see trips breaks her ankle naturally so then of course they call you know 911 because the house is on fire but the police show up think Hugo's drug dealer and, and try to arrest him yeah, because I guess somebody else had already called about the fire, yeah. or somebody else had called about an unre- about a couple Hispanic people driving up in a Hummer and immediately assumed, oh, uh, <laughs> a Hispanic person in this neighborhood, they must be a drug dealer. Um, I the the mother even gives them a look like, oh, maybe it like, is a curse, and she does the sign of the cross, which yeah. you know ward off evil and all that. Um, I, I will say a little fun bit of trivia that we read about before we started recording is that Hugo had already very much started believing in the curse before um, bringing it up to his mom because he's wearing a necklace that's the Chinese symbol for luck or fortune. So you can tell he's already kind of subtly trying, trying to, to like ward off evil in some way. He's trying to change things around. Yeah, he's like maybe... I, I, I would have to rewatch the episode again to see if maybe he had like a rabbit's foot on him at any point or, or you know, other yeah. sort of superstitious things um, to try to, to, to counteract the evil of the curse. But... Yeah... Bad things are happening, but Hugo's making money. Because we see it in talking to his lawyer. Even bad things that happen. Sneaker factory burns down. People die. But they were overinsured. He's actually making money from it burning down. And he's he's come to own all these things that it's like he's like, I don't even know why or how I own this, but I, I own this now. He owns a box company he knew nothing about. Who John Locke works at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he can buy and sell John Locke. You know what? Here's the thing. Here's what, here's, is that a thing that happens? When you're super rich, do you just suddenly like be like, oh, by the way, you own this company now? Like, is that a thing that happens? Um, I, I think since he was talking to a financial advisor, it's entirely, he was making investments. I, I think it's entirely possible. One of two things. Either another either another family member died, which was entirely possible, and he became the heir of these things, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, without really knowing it. Or um, because he believed, like, or, or maybe he was just like, this is so much money, I have no idea what to do with it. He just sort of left it all. Especially if he was, like, believed that the, that the money was evil. Like, he was like, maybe if I don't touch it, like, it's going to stop bringing me bad luck. And so he just left it in the hands of financial investors, and they invested in all of these different companies and stuff like that, which he, because of, you know, then, I guess, the wheels of fate, he now becomes the, the, the majority shareholder or something. I don't know. I don't know how money works. I don't works. know how money works either. <laughs> I don't have enough of it to know how it works. Or do I? <laughs> we'll find out next week on No Love Lost. Um, but as he's trying to explain, every time he tries to explain to someone that, you know, 
there's a curse and that he's got bad luck, that he's jinxed in some way, shape, or form, the person always dismisses him and then something bad happens. Like his mother broke her ankle and this guy. Yeah, well, he's talking to the financial advisor after they talk about this. Where after, wait, we have to say he comes to the conclusion in this conversation it's that the money, the money, it's the numbers themselves that are cursed. And then a guy falls out the window or leaps out the window behind the and window. And this is what I was talking about. Like, there is this black humor to the episode, but I think that was the most inappropriate use of, like, the womp womp, Lord, like, little... It wasn't a womp womp sound effect, but it was kind of close. Ah, uh, we don't know that guy. <laughs> we don't know him. But it was just Hurley being, like, a man just like, committed suicide, and Hurley because being, Because of my like, curse. If Hurley wasn't in the building, that man wouldn't have killed himself. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, if we if we are to believe the curse, Hurley didn't have to be at the factory for those people to die. Yeah. So, but he's very aware of the his surroundings because when he goes to the psych ward because he wants to talk to uh, Lenny about the numbers, who is where he had gotten he's returned, and this is where we first realize he's been in a psych ward. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a guy on a rickety ladder a really rickety ladder trying to change a light bulb just far enough out of reach that that hurley's like like dude, dude. like do that some other time don't do that now and the guy's like oh, okay um and hurley's just like i just saved your life <laughs> i just saved your life dude but he goes to the psych ward and he wants to talk to this guy lenny and then former doctor knows her and that's when we realize oh he's been in here mm. he was institutionalized in some manner yeah and i i think that's like the first time we really look at hugo differently like it's a surprise to learn he's rich but it also explains why he was on tv in Jin's episode yes. um but the this is like the first thing because hurley is so lovable and easygoing you know it's it's definitely not what we think of when we think of mental health and I think that actually, in the hands of a different show, like this could have been a good opportunity to have a mature discussion about mental health. But because the show is lost and more interested in cryptic nonsense, like, uh. <laughs> well, I mean, well, well, I mean, they get into it more with Hurley. Yeah, I mean, we I don't get really more, remember much. We get more, they delve into it more and probably not as deeply as they could or maybe even should but this is not the only time we deal yeah. with, with i that. i would feel more comfortable making a full assessment on that after re-watching those episodes but from what i remember i just remember sort of the mental hospital being used to set up things that don't really you know to set up mysteries that don't really get paid off in in my mind as far as my recollection i am fully willing to admit that like that's definitely a biased take and one that's based on very shoddy memory okay well there's there i'm willing to say at least from the character that we deal with his mental health more throughout the series like i said i just remember it being used as sort of a prop to set up things that don't end up getting satisfying payoffs. But there's real emotions down the line when Hurley, like when we find out why he's in there and, and, is, and his, will... his sessions with psychiatrists. 
granted, there is the, there is one particular thing with Libby set up in the mental hospital. And but... that's that's where my mind goes. But ah. like, um, <clears throat> I would love to rediscover those things well, because I have to. long since Guess forgotten. What? Guess what? You're going to. Um. Also, check please. And also, I have to go to my car for unrelated escape reasons. Bye. So, we come upon Lenny, and he's playing connect four by himself himself. and he's muttering the numbers and hurley's basically like like where did the numbers numbers come from from? i use these numbers in lotto and suddenly lenny who seems like real out of it gets very lucid and he's like you shouldn't use those numbers he was like you "You did what yeah you shouldn't use them and he starts freaking out that they have to drag him away he's freaking out about the numbers and he got them from someone he he heard them with sam toomey and where's sam toomey he's in australia who would have guessed australia and this is how hurley got to australia he went and he went to sam's place sam was dead but his wife, his widow, she knows all about the numbers. Mm-hmm. And she tells a story about how they were in a listening post in the Pacific and they heard these numbers in the stat. They would always be listening, uh, Lenny and Sam, all night. And uh, they would never hear anything but static. And then they started hearing these numbers in between the static. Uh, so then he used the numbers... Him and his wife were at the fair and to win like 50 grand or something. Which I assume I, it's because he did it on a lark, not because he actually believed the numbers held any significance yeah, he probably had after to, the fact. He probably had to pick numbers and he's like, well, these numbers are in my head. Might as well use them. Uh, however, I, I'm a little unclear of what this competition was. It sounds like it was a bean counting. So wait a second. <laughs> What numbers did he use? Because the numbers are 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Was he saying I... there were 4 trillion <laughs> How many? How many is, is this? Yeah, how many How many digits? So, yeah, uh, 4. Let, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's see. If we change the commas... So that it's three there, three there. Uh, maybe four million? No. Uh, no, no, that's not right either. Yeah, maybe wait. you were right. I'm How many t- fucking Talk beans? a little bit about the scene while I figure out the bean number. <laughs> How many numbers is this? Um, I don't know about you. I've always been really bad at those guessing the numbers thing. What I'm more concerned about is that this per, you know, uh, the the widow says that this guy had been running this same scam and no one had ever gotten close. And I'm sitting here going like, well, if it's a scam, why didn't he just lie? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of holes in this bean store. I don't care story. for this bean store, and it's never bothered me. Okay, I got it. It's not trillion. It's four billion eight hundred fifteen million one hundred sixty-two thousand three hundred and forty-two dollars. How big is this goddamn jar? That's a oh, lot of beans. Four billion beans. <laughs> <laughs> So I want—I don't understand how he used the numbers. 
to get the bean count. It must have been like a jar the size of a refrigerator, at least. Maybe, probably not. Probably more like the size of your kitchen. <laughs> or four what? billion How beans. Do you, how's this guy carry around this bean? I don't guy just used a portion of the numbers because um, we know that portions of the numbers can also have an effect on the world around you because of stupid arbitrary reasons which we're gonna actually have to get into a discussion about what we think the numbers are um, but um, like eight you know flight 815 that's a section of the number yes so maybe he didn't use all of the numbers to count the beams <laughs> maybe he just Four billion beans. Like when I want when I rewatch the episode, and I'm like, did she say bean count? What the hell? You know, like and, and I, fifty grand you get for guessing the amount of beans. What is what is what is the actual you know property value of owning four billion beans? <laughs> I How feel like you can. Him? I feel like you can feed like third world nations with that those beans. Like I feel like you could plant things. You could is grow it, things. Is it like one of those candy things? Like these are actually jelly beans. They're not real beans. Oh, I hope. I hope that four they're four billion, billion jelly beans. beans? <laughs> I'm like, there's this guy has a secret backstory. Like he was one of the kids that wanted to get to the Wonka factory, and he's like, I saw things, but I walked away with four billion beans. By the way, the next time, well, we're not even drinking during this episode, no, and we're losing our minds. I have tea. Um, next time I go to like, I see one of those things where it's like, guess how many like M and M's are in this bowl? I'm putting down four billion. I'm putting down. Four billion eight hundred fifteen million one hundred sixty-two thousand three hundred forty-two. <laughs> Sir, this jar is a foot tall. <laughs> like, I will go ahead and let you know there are less than <laughs> there are less than a thousand. I stand by my four billion <laughs> plus pick. Okay, so like they feel so bad for you. They're like, no, sir. Like here, like, we'll I give you really a got hung up on this bean <laughs> issue during this episode, which I never did the first time. Because you know what? The first time I wasn't, the numbers weren't as ingrained in my head as they are now on a new rewatch. You didn't realize how many digits you were dealing with. <laughs> so, basically, right after winning this 50 grand, they get into a car accident. Sam's fine. She loses her leg, but he starts to believe there's, they're cursed. There's bad Misfortune luck. Misfortune follows. Eventually, he kills himself. Uh, and Hurley's like, Great, this is proof. There's a curse. You understand. And she's like, there's no curse. And she's like, you make your own luck. And she, like, throws cold water on his whole curse theory. Which, then I guess he decided to go home, but ended up on the island. I mean, there wasn't anything left for him to do in Australia. I know, but he goes home. Ends ends up up on on the the island. island. Where the curse seems to be in full effect. I mean, people, you know the plane crash a lot of people have died uh he's having stomach issues <laughs> so let's talk about the island all right to the island so michael's getting his raft together yeah and they want they they want to be able to transmit 
signal. They want to be able, because they're going to be out there. It's going to be tough. Because, you know, I mean, you got to cross your fingers and hope you end up in, like, yeah. a shipping lane or exactly. something. Exactly. He's like, it's going to be real hard for ships to spot us. Like, it would be great if we had <coughs> some way that wasn't relied on, that didn't rely on the very limited number of flares that we have. So they're like, oh, well, we need batteries to create a signal. And who has batteries? Rousseau, the French lady. You um, know, the tortured, cra- the torturer slash crazy lady. And batteries are really the MacGuffin of this episode. They're the all-important thing that really has no real significance over the episode. It's just a, it's just a way to propel Hurley's story forward. However, as I have said before on this podcast, my favorite elements of the show are when these characters have to come together to solve a problem. Yes. A, a very grounded realistic problem you know that introduced in their island setting you know um uh very much tied into their survival and that's uh what a a good chunk of the island stuff in this episode is is that it's you know having to come together to ultimately accomplish this goal so that when michael and you know his son get off the island that yeah there's a conceivable way they'd be able to contact help so Jack wants to go to French Lady to get batteries. And Saeed's like, no. Like, Don't be an idiot. <laughs> she's not going to give them to us. We can't like, go look for her. Like, you know, she's booby-trapped the jungle. Uh, and Jack's there with Hurley talking to Saeed. And Hurley's looking through the French Lady's notes. And he sees the numbers written repeatedly. Yeah. I, I do want to say, though, that, like, is it just me or is Lost, like, you know, all the characters in Lost, super dismissive about PTSD. Maybe it's because everybody has PTSD from the crash. But, like, you know, Saeed went through some shit. And, like, they're like, well, your feelings don't really matter. We need to go get those batteries. Yeah. <laughs> Just like when Charlie was captured and tortured, Rose was like, stop being sad. And he was like, okay. <laughs> that one, I think, is, is, is a bigger issue. Because I understand they need the batteries. But, you know, let Charlie be a little sad. <laughs> you know, it's a rough time. Uh, like, I, I get it. There's there's stuff to do. We need to move forward. But at the same time, I'm like, man, upon a rewatch, this island is a very super insensitive to PTSD. But, you know, we got stuff to do. So later that night, Hurley approaches Saeed asking about the French woman's notes and things like that. And he's like, oh, you said there was middle a wire. Middle of the night. And, middle of the which night. Which is not suspicious <laughs> at all. Uh, and Saeed's even like, like, why are you so interested? And Hurley's like, mm, no reason. No reason. I woke you up in the middle of the night out of curiosity. But then the next day, Charlie catches Hurley, like, putting a lot of water in a pack. And he starts to, he's heading out. And he doesn't want anyone to go with him. Hugo, you have no poker face. <laughs> Charlie wants to follow him, and he's just like, no, like really violently, no, I want to be alone, which is fair, it's, but well, it's suspiciously it's fair. It's very suspicious, and like you, you understand to Hugo's credit, um, he he, anything even remotely tied to these numbers in his mind brings bad fortune. So if he goes by himself, he'll be fine. But if other people come along you know there are going to be casualties in his mind if if it's associated with the numbers and more importantly i think to him if he tried to express that no one would believe him so and we see nobody believes him when he's also speaking the truth as we get in the final moments of this episode yeah um 
So Hurley's marching across the beach looking for that cable that he's going to follow into the jungle. And Saeed comes to Jack. He's like, oh, you stole my shit. He got you, Hurley to you do sent, your dirty you, work. Yeah, <laughs> you sent Hurley to do it. And Jack's like, what are you talking about? And Saeed, because he's a good reader, people realizes, oh, you don't know anything about this. We got to go find Hurley because he's gone off to look for the French woman for some reason. Yeah. And Charlie tells him that he saw him, like, putting together, like, packs of water and stuff like that. So the three of them go to look for Hurley. Which is a troop of uh, characters I kind of never thought would go on a little quest together. <laughs> yeah. You don't expect those three. No. And it's a good thing they showed up when they did because Hurley has literally, when they show up, has just stepped on a booby trap. He stepped on, like, a pressure-sensitive thing that if he, when he steps off of it, this big thing of spikes is going to fly. And, and I feel like Rousseau um, would get along great with Aaron from your next. Like, I feel like they would get along famously. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they would. Yeah. She was good at setting up booby she traps. She was great at setting up booby traps. <laughs> That's a great movie. It is. It's so funny. Um, so, Hurley steps on the thing. But to be fair, like, when Hurley's like, I'm pretty spry, I can dodge this thing. In all fairness, I feel like almost any of us could actually dodge that trap. It's, it's, that trap's relying on, you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming. Or maybe it even serves a, a, a more ulterior motive of, like, maybe in some way, shape, or form... Rousseau would be alerted to when this trap was set off. Or maybe that that's more like later on down the line. But yeah, um or well, may or maybe it was made, you know, for for people not noticing it, but maybe it was also made to be like an overt warning, like I've set up this trap yeah. that you can get out of, but you but won't be go able to no get yeah, You won't be able to get out of the next yeah. one. Um cuz I I would totally, you know, I would totally by Rousseau setting up an escapable trap to be like as a like a warning sign. Like that was a warning. Yeah. So well, even later when she's shooting at him, I feel like they're warning shots yeah. because I feel like if she wants to, she can hit her. If mark. Rousseau wanted to, like this is the same lady who absolute like who set it up so that like Saeed thought he was holding a loaded gun when he fired it at her and she's like Robert didn't notice it either and so she's like this is a very smart woman um she well anyway this tramp this is also another uh weight thing that's mentioned with her because they say we have to replace the weight on that Indiana that, Jones style <laughs> and but Charlie even makes like like, like that's not gonna be easy to find which is True, and I, I think the weight stuff, eventually we realize how the weight stuff, not in this episode, but how it's tied into a lot of where he's at mentally and, and well, what he blames himself for and what and, put him in that institution. And you also, you also very much, I don't remember the order exactly in terms of like the flashback of when exactly in the runtime of the episode we find out that he was in a mental institution, but a good portion of this episode Charlie is voicing his concerns by saying, you're acting crazy. You're acting like a loon. Yes. You're acting nutty. You know, all of these varia variations of the way of saying crazy. That, and that really starts to poke at Hurley for yeah. a while. And that really starts to, to come into play even more when they get separated. Yeah. So. It's just barb after barb after barb. You know, 
at this guy who's normally pretty lighthearted and pretty easygoing, but like, you know, he's got feelings too. Uh, the episode is actually, you know, when when we talk about it in this way, the episode is actually fairly straightforward because they get out of that trap and then it's like a new trap. They see the rickety bridge and they're like, oh, we gotta, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get around this? And Hurley's just walks across it he's just heading across the bridge the power of his good bad luck yes (laughs) Um, i am invincible but but he's so determined like he's like i need answers to this i will go across this rickety bridge and it's also look i mean watching that as a viewer you assume big hurley's gonna break this bridge and he doesn't he gets all the way across pretty much just fine so then cocky Charlie's no. like, I'm going to go across it. Curse my hubris. <laughs> and he barely makes it. The bridge collapses out from under him right when he's at the end. He has to kind of jump forward and Hurley helps him up. And now they're, they're, they're separated, separated by this crevasse. And and Jack and Saeed are like, you guys wait there. And Hurley's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good. We're good. We'll go. You wait for us. Can I just say that, like... I love concerned mom, Jack. Like, Jack, like, I I think Jack is, you know, at his best in the pilot for sure. But, like, as the series goes on, I I know we have a lot of complaints about reluctant hero Jack and about, like, sanctimonious Jack. But I really love concerned mom, Jack. The one who's patching up scrapes. The one who's uh, providing emotional support when he's the side character. And right here, when he's like, no, Hurley, you stay right there. I'm gonna come get you. Like, it was, yeah. it just came off so concerned mom to me. And I, I love that. I'm like, oh, Jack, you're adorable. This is one of those episodes where I'm like, oh, I like Jack again. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and forth on that a lot, this series. Yeah. But like, I mean, here, my, I'm like, aww. My, my least favorite Jack is, I've seen incredible things happen but i still don't believe anything weird is going on like okay calm down jack uh you saw like a smoke monster it's a thing like you saw it stop pretending it's not a thing um but anyway uh that's when charlie really starts laying into hurley and char but charlie's also like you know I want answers. I don't know anything about you. You never tell us about you. Tell us, tell us things. And Hurley's about to maybe say stuff to him when shots are fired at them. Yeah. Um, he he was this close. He was like, I'm going to tell you the real reason why I'm out here and why we're looking for stuff. And, and then boom, boom. Russo's I, warning shots. Actually, I should say before that, uh, Russo's old home yeah. is blown up. Clearly, she had set a trap for that to blow so nobody could, like, get her shit. Yeah, mainly Saeed. Saeed was the one that was like, she knew I would come back eventually. Or she she bet that I would come back with other people eventually because she suspected that he wasn't a survivor of a plane crash, that he was actually one of the others. So to hedge her bet, she was like, okay, I'm going to rig this place to blow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mic drop. Russo mic drop. So Charlie wants answers. Hurley shots are fired. They start running. They get separated. And Hurley runs right to Rousseau. Again, a character interaction I never kind of pictured in my brain. And 
I know Hurley's not really crazy, crazy, but this scene's great. He certainly comes on strong in this scene. And he basically out-crazies the crazy woman. Like, he basically, and that's how, like, he goes in to this rant about good old fun time Hurley, and, but I want answers. I want to know what's going on, and I want to know about these numbers. I want, and he goes on such a crazy rant that she lowers the gun, that she well, looks at him like, oh, like, I think- you're, you're, I'm going to. You know, <laughs> She's I'm, like, okay, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, how crazy is the crazy I woman. think what it is is that, like, he mentions Said, and she, she looks at him, and he doesn't look. And granted, we get contradictory stuff later on. Earlier in the series, she said she's never seen any of the others. We find out later that that's not true. Um, whether she was lying or whether the writers just hadn't written that, I feel like we'll be- make a better judgment on that when we get to when we cross that bridge. Um, but Hurley, you know, with our aforementioned knowledge uh, of things to come, we know he doesn't look like one of the others. He's not, he, he doesn't look like somebody who's been living on this island for a long time. Yes. He, he looks, and certainly he, not acting like yeah, one. Yeah, he, he certainly looks and acts like a fish out of water, out of his element for sure. So I think that, and Rousseau's good at reading people, you know, she's, very careful and very paranoid but she's good at reading people looking at Saeed looking how how clever and tactical and you know fit he is like I definitely buy her being like I can't trust this guy you know he could be an Ethan you know Um, but looking at Hurley he's so out of his element that I think she's like immediately like okay and then he mentions Saeed and she's like okay yeah you do look like somebody who came from like not around here and also it's like it's coming off very honest. Yeah. It's not coming off. There's nothing phony about the breakdown yeah. he's having. As, as you know, Saeed, as much as we love him, you know, he was doing just as much to emotionally manipulate her into letting him go uh, as, you know, as he possibly could, you know, from all of the years of, you know, training that he has yeah. trying to m- manipulate people for information. Hurley just you know and so like Rousseau is accustomed to seeing those tactics and in terms of like because that's the first real social interaction she's had in a long time but Hurley is just like lady just tell me what does this mean that is not the tactic of a mastermind looking to get information out of you or looking to trick you that is just the tactic of a mad not not a like not a crazy person, but like a, a person at the end of their rope who just really is frustrated with their situation. So she tells him her story of the numbers, which was that they picked up a transmission. Uh, the transmission was coming from the radio tower on the island that's near the Black Rock. Which we still don't know what the Black Rock is but, at this point, yes. but, but we know. <laughs> it's a it's a ship. It's a slave ship. Anyway, I thought it was a pirate ship. Huh? I believe it's a slave ship. Probably. Richard I, was I don't a know. slave on the Black Rock. Oh, I ship. don't recall. We don't even know who Richard is yet. <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I thought it was filled with treasure for all the pirating. It's filled with dynamite. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um. 
<laughs> so anyway um waiting for an idiot to explode it all <laughs> so she talks about how basically those numbers that signal brought them to the island and then the the, the sickness came over all her her people and she says like you know the numbers brought them there so yeah she believes that they're cursed and she's like, I could see that everyone I've ever known and loved and cared about is gone. Uh, and because I'm, of these numbers. And I'm here. So, yeah, I, I buy into your curse theory. And <laughs> this is all he's ever wanted to hear. He is so happy. He awkwardly hugs her. <laughs> Which, again, probably like the first, like, because she, she and Saeed kept their distances from one another uh, during their interaction. Um, so yeah, this is probably the first genuine human touch she's felt in ever since and her, her child so, was taken away. He's from so her. happy to know that someone doesn't think he's crazy about this. And she gives him batteries. Yeah. And he comes back with the batteries and she he was says, like, Thanks for the hug here. Um good luck with your curse. <laughs> I guess that's what it went down. But then it's like, oh, she's still Saeed. She said, hey, and everything. <laughs> Hey, I believe you now. <laughs> Sorry about the torturing bits. The so, music box still works great. <laughs> so then we cut to next scene with Hurley. It's late uh, that night. He's by the fire with Charlie. He's uh, drying off his shirt. And, uh, you know, Charlie says, like, hey, we were, like, talking in the jungle. And Charlie basically... Uh, Hurley basically says, I blame myself for the crash. I blame this. Like, And Charlie is like, look, here's the most personal thing I could tell you. I was doing heroin in the bathroom when the plane went down. This is the most embarrassed. Like, you, you got to give me something. And it's, it's, I feel like the show takes a long beat before Hurley's finally like, like, okay. And he tells him that he's worth $156 million. And Charlie... He's angry because, like, you're not taking this seriously. I you know, bear not, my soul. I bear my soul, and you tell me this. But it's true. It's true. You see, I feel like if uh, Hurley had pushed a little harder, Charlie might have believed him. Like, if he had, like, gone through his list of assets, be like, I won the lottery, I did this, I did this, I did this, I own this company, I own this company. It's, uh, it's hard enough for Hurley to bring it up because of all the, because he thinks it's responsible for all the horrible things that have gone on. Yeah, he feels, but, he probably feels like it's blood money. So it's like Charlie, I mean, Charlie's very dismissive right away. It, it's interesting because watching them in this episode, we've talked a lot about their chemistry. Yeah. But we haven't seen them together a lot. I feel like a lot of what you and me are already looking at at this friendship is stuff that the series hasn't given us completely yet. Or we only feel it because they're the two, like, funniest characters. They're the two most fun characters. They're, they're definitely two of the most likable, yeah. certainly. Um, but their scenes together have been somewhat limited at they, this point. They've been limited, but they've been some of the most emotionally in terms of like levity they've been some of the most emotionally resonant stuff like i said the most genuine human moment we've seen to date on this show is just the two of them in the ocean together trying to catch a fish that to me is still like one of my favorite moments of the series yeah that's really good it's yeah. really natural um 
And again, I'm 100% convinced that that was improvised. And then, cut to the hatch. The hatch that we know Locke and Boone have been trying to get into. Mm -hmm. And what's on the hatch? Numbers. What numbers? 4, beans. 8, 15, 16, 23, <laughs> so 42. So many beans yeah. are covering the outside. Wouldn't that be funny? That's how <laughs> they open up the hatch and it's, and it's just 4 billion beans. <laughs> that's one of my bait. <laughs> like, that's how big the container had to be for this stupid contest. It had to be hatch size. <laughs> Bean contest. Really, who knew that 18 episodes in, this would be the thing that was like vexing me the most? Um, but, you know, numbers on the hatch, bum bum bum. But there were other things that happened this episode. Yeah, there were. So let's talk about some. Let's start with the raft stuff. Yeah. Because we see Michael's working on the raft and Sawyer's not helping. He's just sitting there. He's like, I already bought my ticket. I shouldn't have to work. Sitting there trying to read. He's upset they're making a lot of noise. I mean, that's really. I I know he says he's there guarding it, but it's like, you don't need to guard it when there are already people working on it there, you idiot. And And Michael (laughs) does say we got people guarding it 24-7. Maybe he doesn't say 24-7, but he says they got people guarding it around the clock. And I guess that was just Sawyer's shift. But, like, he picked the, the least picked dangerous the... shift, <laughs> which actually is very much in line with Sawyer's character. He picked character. the daytime shift. He's reading his book. He's watching the raft. Who are the other people watching the raft? Apollo and Nikki. Those uh, are they're, they're on raft watching. <laughs> uh, which, whichever one didn't die, Scott, Steve, whichever yeah. one is still alive. Um, it's to Scott. But so they give Sawyer a hard time that he's not helping. He's not pulling his weight on this raft. And then also Sun is watching Jin and, and thinking as, he's going to go off on that raft. Michael and Jin are screaming at each other in languages they don't understand. And she's like, he's going to go off that raft. He's never going to talk to me again. Mm-hmm. And Kate has to, you know, is sitting there trying to comfort her with like, ah, he just needs time. And Sun is convinced. She's like, nah, I humiliated him. He's never going to forgive me. Uh, I liked this moment between um, Kate and son because like kate was one of the first people to know her secret yeah and know why she was keeping it a secret and i feel like when everyone found out in the last episode that son could speak english all this time i feel like a lot of people were real judgy about it which you know to their credit I probably would have been too. Well, but like, yeah, I'd have some. I'd certainly have some questions. I have follow-up questions, and also, what did I say in front of that woman, thinking she yeah. wasn't listening? But I feel like you know. So Kate is one of the few people she can go to, in sort of a judgment-free sense. So I really like this moment between the two of them. You're never gonna get away with pretending not to know a language, you know, because eventually you'll smile at something like she did with Kate that time. Yeah. Never gonna. Never going to get away with it. So don't even try it, Megan. <laughs> um, don't worry. I'm never, I could never possibly get away with <laughs> pretending to, <laughs> to not understand English. Because the only other language I even come close to speaking is Spanish. And I'm so bad at speaking Spanish that I could never fool anyone in any capacity. So the final plot line i guess the biggest b story there isn't really a big b story in this it's uh it's just sort of a little a bunch of little c stories so 
block goes up to Claire, says, can you help me with something? And Claire's like, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I can't like, do anything. Can He's do? like, can you hold the saw and do this? And she's like, I could do that. And he's like, come on. I, now, I, I really liked what he said, though. He's like, you're perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, we've talked a lot about the cult of John Locke on well, the show. We have. And what, we, we started making those that maybe is a half joke, but it seems like every episode <laughs> he's got somebody pulled aside and he tells them some story, whether it be about uh, you Walt, know. a miracle happened to me. Boone, your sister, you know, you know, uh, can't be trusted. Uh, Shannon, so why do you care what he, your brother thinks? Yeah, he tells Sawyer the story, and that was a very PTSD-heavy episode. Um, you know, and now it's the clan. And because he has these individual moments with everyone, it really feels like he's recruiting them to all believe in island magic for his cult. Like, he takes them, he separates them from everyone else, tells them some tale and he somehow does make all their lives just a little better mm-hmm like, like I, a, any good shyster you think well, your life is better afterwards but he's not a shyster because he legitimately believes in the power of the silent and to a point he's correct to a point uh, as we've said time and time again he is misguided and naive about the forces that are actually on this island um and at this point in the series, it's hard to say whether or not they had decided to make John Locke a villain or not. Um, because I, I, I'm definitely sitting, setting my, my flag in the ground in the camp of they were making up way more of this as they went along than, than I think a lot of people give them credit for. However, yeah, there's a lot going on with Locke here that does pay off in ways when you get to the end of the series you know that uh, about his character it's, it's interesting if you, if you look at this in from the perspective of they were setting john Locke up to be a villain like say that that was more where they were going in season one was that they were going to set him up as a villain um setting up his own cult um we also have that prediction from the psychic earlier this season where he insisted that Claire has to be the one to uh, to raise this baby. Um, John Locke making her this little present mm, could potentially give him the opportunity to snatch said baby later on for culty purposes. So I'm like, ooh, that's interesting, you know, legwork if they if that had been the direction they were going. Um they have a nice chat about it's Claire's birthday. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> we talk about her memory loss, things coming back, things that aren't coming back. Uh, and, you know, she's happy he's given her something to do at the end of the day because she has been a little bit of a pariah. Yeah. Now, maybe pariah is the wrong word, but well, she's 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 definitely like, you know, you're not – if you're throwing a dinner party at the island, she's not the first person you're inviting. Every – you know, everybody forgets that she was the one that set up that really nice memorial. Yes. Um, because everybody looks at her like she's made of glass, because, or more specifically, like she's a ticking time bomb um, because of the whole baby thing. Yeah, the and people want, people are like, we you, don't want to deal with you this. You throw the kidnapping and the attempted murder and then the actual murders on top of that, and you have somebody that it's understandable that people would want to avoid. 
like not out of malice intent or any any sort of maliciousness but like you know where, where claire goes trouble follows sort of thing sort of thing i don't know and and Locke makes her this uh, cradle for a baby so i want to ask who's you eventually well, a squirrel baby <laughs> oh, oh god um I, so i want to ask you will because upon watching this I, I wanted to gauge your emotional reaction because you were tweeting about it earlier this evening. Oh, about this About thing? this moment in oh, particular. I mean, that, like, he made her this thing, and I'm like, is he indoctrinating? Is he just trying to, like... Is this emotional manipulation? Is he indoctrinating her into his cult? I, uh, I mean, I'm, I tweeted about that, and I talk about it on here. I think at the end of the day, it's meant to be... I think he's doing it out of kindness. I think John Locke is a kind man at heart. Uh, I do think he wants people. I think he believes, though. You know, it's like if you meet... Okay, so you meet some, like... Someone who's, like, really Christian, really into God. And or, or any faith. It doesn't necessarily have to be Christian. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah any, any sort of religious person. Who comes at you with some religious mumbo jumbo that you might not believe but it's also clear like oh they'll give you the shirt off your the back and it's because they believe in this thing i think john locke believes in the power of this island and i think he wants everybody to believe it and i think he wants to do some good for the i think he thinks it will do her good to believe in it so in that regard there is some level of indoctrination but i also think like just like that Christian person, the act of actually doing this thing, I think, is coming yeah. genuinely from within him. Like, I think he sees this woman who's alone, he, and he's like, I have the ability, I have an ability that not everybody here I, on is, I can make her this thing, this will be a nice thing. I think he also just, generally speaking, identifies or, or empathizes a lot with people experiencing loneliness. Yes. Um, because of, you know, his lot in life um i i definitely see the the look at this and i i definitely love doubling down anytime we get to say john locke is farming a cult i love doubling down on yeah. that but i will be honest when i watched this episode when I, you know for the first time in 14 years what year did this come out is that to be 2005 okay so 13 years probably First time seeing this episode in over a decade, um, I I looked at this moment and the moment he flips it over to be a cradle, I went, oh, and it's sweet because it's, it's it's a sweet. genuinely sweet moment. And honestly, it, a gesture like this not only is very useful to Claire, but it's also right up her alley, just in terms of how quirky and cute you know she is. It, this was a quirky way to give someone a gift, and yes. like it's totally up her alley. Um, and it's a very kind thing, but at the same and but at the same time, you know, this is also the same man who drugged a boy <laughs> a couple episodes prior to emotionally manipulate him into doing what he wanted. And he said that the reason that boy couldn't tell everybody about the hatch yet is because they weren't ready. So I definitely see both perspectives of this is just John Locke being a nice person because I, I immediately yelled, "I'm like, this is the nicest, sweetest thing John Locke." does in this entire series but i also see it as him 
sowing the seeds so that he can make everyone ready for when they reveal what's in the hatch. John Locke is a good man who is easily manipulated uh, by dark forces throughout the series. Yeah. But in his heart, he's a good man. He wants to do the good, right thing. He wants to help people. He's a good, gullible man. So, um, that's numbers. Uh, Can, I do want to bring up, just real quick, I know we're, we're running short on time. Um, oh, I, I guess go ahead. We can, no, 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 bring it up. Well, it's my man in black, so. But I, I was oh, wondering okay, so if we it could... could I was wondering if I should bring it up as a completely different discussion point because I feel like it is a subject worth debate, but we can just go right into uh, Man in Black and Man in Might. Uh, well, let's let's well then let's, since it seems like the longer talk will be about the Man in Black, let's start with our light, our Jacobs. What is yours of this episode? Um, there were a lot of really great, wonderful character interactions in this episode. Uh, as I mentioned, that moment with Kate and Son was really sweet. <clears throat> Jin and Michael bickering is just comedy yeah. gold. Um, I, I'm going to give it to two. I'm going to give it to the moment where John Locke gives Claire the cradle because it it made me feel a feeling, and I'm like, okay, show, whenever you do that, I'm going to have to give it to you. Um, but also Mom Jack. I love concerned Mom Jack. Like, those two oh. things are my man in white. I'm going to give it um, when uh, Hurley exasperated loses it to Rousseau because I think, yeah. one, it's a really good performance out of uh, Jorge Garcia, who we've seen do a lot of stuff, but, like, this is, like, it's both funny, but it's also maddening and upsetting. Like, it, it, it gets a whole range of emotions, and it has a nice little comedic beat at the end. And I think Rousseau's face is priceless during it. Yeah. I, I like that whole sequence, like, and I like the relief he has of... Well, and it's just, it's also really, really satisfying seeing Rousseau get to have this genuine moment of human connection. And as a, as a close third, I will put Rousseau now being a sort of tentative ally as as also a man in white like i like her being a potential ally out there for them now or at least less antagonistic my man in black is obviously that that bean count is bullshit <laughs> um i'm much more curious what yours is though <laughs> no man we we gotta go down this bean counter rabbit hole we gotta track this guy down uh, he's but... pulling the scam all over australia as we speak him and his four billion beans the beans do you think? I don't know. Uh, lentils. They must be microscopic uh, if he can actually carry them around. Um, my man in black are the numbers themselves. Okay. My man in black are the numbers themselves because ultimately this was a mystery that depending on who you ask in the writer's room, they didn't have a plan for it at all. But it was something they certainly said they had a plan about. Um, I would have loved it if the numbers had turned out to sim like if this had been it and the numbers had just turned out to be a coincidence because as the the woman as the widow said to Hurley earlier in the episode you make your own luck um, there are certainly circumstances that are out of your control people die bad things happen to good people but ultimately you make your own luck uh, and maybe you know that's just me projecting a little bit but like the numbers themselves either make them curse it and you make them a cursed thing 
or make them a coincidence that that Hurley needs to come to terms with because what this show does after this episode is they continue it continues to dangle the numbers as well, being something that they're not. Well, you type them into the computer and they add up to what 108. I should yeah, have done the math on that, which is the every 108 minutes you have to retype they, you know, them it, into the computer. It goes to this, you know, crazy equation that you know that they, they talked about in the writers' room. Um, the, the Fabian equation, or I don't know, I don't remember what Look, it's called. Look, this is a fair man in black that I want to defend the numbers a little bit more, but admittedly, on my rewatch, I have to... There are things I think I'll be better suited to defend the numbers with when I see them the, down the line. Well, from, <clears throat> from my understanding of it, uh, it, earlier in this season when we got into a little bit of a heated discussion about the numbers, um, you mentioned that the numbers were touched by Jacob. And, there's there's uh, later they represent them on the walls of a cave. Yeah, in terms of uh, candidacies, which I, you know, my counterpoint is like, I'm like, okay, if these numbers are touched by Jacob, I feel like that's proof that Jacob is in fact the villain of the story because nothing but misfortune followed Hugo. So it's like, are these numbers divine or are they not? Because if they are divine then there's clearly, you know, then Jacob's Jacob's clearly a monster. (laughs) Well, Jacob's the villain of the story in the same way that God is the villain in the Bible. Which he's not. (laughs) Or, but, I mean, but, 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 you know what I mean? But, I mean, you know, he asks some pretty heavy things of some people. He floods the earth, you know? I mean, God does, God's not. You know, Abraham, sacrifice your son. Yeah, <laughs> trust I mean, me. <laughs> yeah, what he does uh, to Job, you know, I mean, he does. God does some terrible things to people in the Bible. Jacob is just the same way. So uh, I mean, it, it's <laughs> you know. Sorry, no. Just, I mean, but that's. I mean, that's what it is. I I would argue that Jacob is the worst. Jacob's person worse than God. No, I would. Yes, <laughs> because in theory, God is good. Um, I feel like Jacob's a villain, a sanctimonious villain. Um, but that's a discussion for a different that's day. A, since my, Jacob doesn't even exist yet on the show. <laughs> my point is, is that they didn't have a plan for these numbers, and that becomes very evident as the show goes on. I'm like, I'm sitting here going, like, either make them cursed or make them not. Well, they, they, I mean, if you believe they're cursed, they're cursed. Yeah, but, like, because, again, once we find out near the end of the series what the numbers actually are, that doesn't line up with Hugo's narrative. But is that a curse? Is that really a curse to be part on Jacob's list? Is that a curse? I don't know. I feel like it is because well then there you go then you have answered for yourself that the numbers are in fact cursed I suppose so they're cursed because in if that's the case then in my uh, then you have just agreed with me that Jacob is in fact a villain I never said he wasn't I just argued that God is also a villain I'm just saying that's all that's all I argued I I argued that there's like you know, Jacob's a complex deity, like God. <laughs> I feel like Jacob comparing himself to God is absolutely something that Jacob would do. Okay, listen, <laughs> I gotta go collect my billion yeah. dollars. I'll tell you what, the only way there's no next episode is if my co-workers won on that side <laughs> bet without me, 
because then I had to kill myself. <laughs> if you do win, Will, will you at least take me out to dinner? <laughs> because I, I want to say that I knew you win. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll go. We'll get we'll get some Taco Bell. <laughs> some Taco Bell. And we'll, we'll record it. No, lo- no love lost. Yeah. Uh, Megan, where can the people find you? Uh, y'all can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link. And you can follow us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. Um, I I want to hear from you guys uh, as you leave a review. Uh, I want to know <laughs> what you would do to help us track down this bean counter. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, <laughs> this, this charlatan. Has, this has been a delightful episode. <laughs> and um, uh, until next time. See you in another life, brother. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, being there, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and Proud to be Kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us and for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs>